In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you were 12 or under, please meet me up here. Ah, thank you. What's funny is it was cold What's up, earlier, so I kill it again about it, and then I never all right. to it, but now it's appropriate. All right. All right, all right, all right. We're all good? So this morning, I'm going to tell you guys a story, okay? You have to listen closely. So one day, this little boy came to me, and he had a problem. He came to me, I guess, because he thought I might have an answer. But when he came to me, he did so very, very cautiously. I could tell this little boy looked very uncomfortable, and I saw that one of his hands were closed. He was making a little fist like this. So I asked this little boy, I said, hey, man, what's wrong? And very tentatively, he looked at me, and he slowly opened his hand, and he said, I have a splinter. That's exactly how he said it. He couldn't pronounce his T's. From the look on his face, I could tell the splinter was causing him a lot of pain. But I could also tell that he was very afraid that the pain that the tweezers would cause were also very real for him. So he came to me, but he did so with a closed hand, right? He came to me for help but he was kind of afraid of the help I might give him. Now, not wanting to force the issue, I said to him, ooh, man, that looks like it really hurts. What do you think we should do? Let's make the decision together. So saying this, it caused him to relax a little bit. He'd been afraid that I would force the splinter out of his hand, but asking him how we should go forward together meant that he had some say in the issue. He thought for a moment, still with his hand closed, though, and then he said, well... I don't want you to get the tweezers. That would hurt really bad. And then he said this, do you have something we could put on it so I don't feel the pain anymore? And when the little boy said that to me, I thought it was one of the most profound statements I had ever heard. Now what I want to do today is explain to you why I thought that boy's statement was so profound. And I want to start that explanation by asking you a few questions, okay? Now this is hand raising time. Raise your hand if you've ever had a splinter. None of the adults have ever had splinters. What's the matter with these people? I don't know. Now, now, does having a splinter hurt? Yes. 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 It's terrible. I got a splinter in. Once I got a splinter. He got the tweezers? Did he ask you what you wanted to do? No. He just pulled it out. Five splinters, and then it sunk in. That happens sometimes. You weren't satisfied with a splinter, so you got a whole stick? That's amazing, dude. Now, taking splinters out can hurt too, though, right? Like, splinters hurt when they're in, but it can also be kind of scary to take the splinters out. But let me, let me ask you this question. What happens if you leave a really big splinter in your hand? It'll sink in. It'll sink in, but what happens? It can get infected, right? And if it gets infected, it's going to hurt more and more and more. So would it have been a good idea to just leave the splinter in this little boy's hand? No. No. Would it have been a good idea to put medicine on the splinter so he couldn't feel it and leave it in his hand? No. No, right? Why not? Because that. Because it will still sink and get infected. Right, just because he can't feel it doesn't mean it's not there. 
right? Still, it was still in his hand, right? But believe it or not, whenever I read today's gospel text for the very first time, the story of that little boy with the splinter in his hand was one of the very first things that I thought of. And I want you guys to listen closely to the sermon today, and I'll explain to you exactly why. Okay? Good. Good? Good. Back to your seats. By the time of our gospel text in John chapter 21, Jesus had appeared twice to the disciples already. After this second appearance, some time passed and the disciples decided they would go fishing. They fished all night long and they caught nothing. And while they were surely disappointed by this outcome, they were no stranger to having empty nets. This wasn't the first time the disciples labored in vain all night, only to catch nothing. But then, just as the sun was about to break the horizon in the east, a voice from the shore tells them to throw their nets once more. The disciples oblige, and they cast their nets yet again. And as the disciples begin pulling their nets out of the water, they see their once empty nets are now teeming with fish. And there is one disciple who remembers this wasn't the first time something like this had happened. The voice from the shore was no mere passerby. John rightly tells Peter in verse 7, the voice which told them to throw their nets once more was none other than Jesus. Or in the words of John, Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Peter realizes that John is right, he quickly gathers himself, leaps into the water, and makes a beeline straight for Jesus. And I wonder, how long did it take for them to remember that this wasn't the very first time Peter had exited a boat at the sound of Jesus' voice? And as the disciples finally make their way ashore, they see the resurrected master himself. And what's he doing? Is he in the middle of a transfiguration-like prayer session? Are the cherubim and seraphim circling over his head, proclaiming him as the resurrected Lord, as the one who won victory over sin and death? Are the saints of the Old Testament gathered around him, testifying to his legitimacy as the Messiah of Israel? Well... Perhaps in a realm unseen, that is exactly what's happening. But that's not what the disciples see. Instead, they see Jesus involved in the mundane exercise of cooking breakfast for his friends. How many times before had Jesus risen early in the morning and prepared a meal for them? Whatever that answer is, one thing is sure, this wasn't the first time they had seen it. And as they looked at the spread of food laid before them, as Jesus handed them fish and bread, I wonder if their minds went back to the last time Jesus handed them bread. I wonder if their minds returned to that Passover night when Jesus gave his friends bread and then proclaimed that bread to be his very body. This wasn't the first time the Lord had given the disciples bread. But as their minds were drawn back to that Passover night and they recalled eating with Jesus and having their feet washed by their master, did they begin to remember all that came after that supper? Did they recall how they failed to even stay awake and pray with Jesus? Did they recall that one of their own was instrumental in the, the betrayal of Jesus? Did they recall the fear they felt when the guards shackled Jesus? Did they recall their shame as they fled the scene and abandoned their master? If they did recall those things, 
This surely wasn't the first time they'd remembered them. This surely wasn't the first time they recalled that horrible night. This wasn't the first time they had felt shame and remorse over what they had done and over what they had failed to do. Every single one of them felt the shame that only traitors feel, none of them more acutely than Peter. You see, unlike the other disciples, Peter didn't flee at the very first sight of trouble. No, Peter was made of better stuff than that. Peter was so dedicated to the Lord, so fervent in his devotion to Jesus, that he dared follow his shackled master into the courtyard of his master's chief accuser, the high priest Caiaphas. Peter was determined to keep Jesus within sight, ready to jump as soon as the opportunity to rescue his friend finally presented itself. But John chapter 18 tells us that it was there in that courtyard in the middle of the night that Peter waited for his opportunity standing by a charcoal fire. And it was there by that charcoal fire that Peter denied Christ three times. And it's possible that the last of those denials may have happened while he was looking Jesus straight in his eyes. You see, as the disciples sat on the beach in John 21 and ate breakfast with their resurrected master, this wasn't the very first time Peter stared into the eyes of Jesus as the smell of a charcoal fire filled the air. John chapter 21 seems to be filled with imagery of past events, events that Jesus is bringing back to the surface and revisiting with his disciples. Some of them are miraculous, some are mundane, some are remembered fondly, but some bring shame so deep and pain so severe that one can hardly bear it. Why is Jesus asking the disciples to relive some of their most painful and shameful moments? Why would Jesus on his final resurrected manifestation orchestrate a breakfast where he points to areas of deep, unresolved, untreated pain? Why is Jesus placing his finger on areas of hurt and shame and bringing them back to the surface? I mean, if he senses that his disciples are hurting, why doesn't Jesus, with just a wave of his hand, apply some divine salve that numbs their pain? Well, that does seem to be our knee-jerk reaction to pain, doesn't it? If I'm in pain, I just want it to stop. But just like with the little boy who had a splinter in his hand, numbing our pain is almost never a long-term solution. Numbing our pain may make us feel better now, but if the problem itself remains, the numbing wears off, and tomorrow the pain returns. Just like the little boy with the splinter in his hand, the pain we feel is only an indicator of something much more deep and significant, a trauma that lies under the surface. A trauma that, if not treated at its root, will infect the whole body and threatens to bring absolute ruin. Like the disciples, we can be haunted by our past decisions, we can be filled with metaphorical splinters, and like the little boy, we can be so focused on the pain these splinters cause that we fail to desire a real treatment for them and instead focus only on stopping the pain they cause. I think many of us in this room today are just like that. For many of us, the splinters of our past decisions seem so severe and the shame they produce so inescapable that we feel their throbbing infection constantly. And all we want is for the pain to just go away. But Jesus 
sees those splinters. He sees them, and he knows just how much they hurt us. And from the core of his very being, he wants to do something about them. But Jesus knows that the mere soothing of our pain is only a temporary fix. And Jesus doesn't seem that interested in fixing you temporarily. No, Jesus wants to fix us entirely. And to do that, Jesus asks you to walk with him into the origin and causes of your pain. And with him by your side, with him holding our splinter-filled hands, confront the epicenters of our pain together. I think that is exactly what these 14 verses in John 21 are about. I think this story of Jesus on the beach with his friends is about Jesus taking the disciples back to some of their most painful moments, bringing those moments to the surface, and by doing so, Jesus is finally able to address the heart of the issue. He is able to heal their shame and guilt. He is able to redeem them in their most broken places, not just lessening the pain those broken places cause. In just a moment, when you see these precious children receiving the sacrament of baptism, let it be a reminder to you that Jesus still offers healing and redemption to every single person in need. So ask yourself this question then, am I in need? Are you riddled with guilt and shame? Does the pain of your past feel like too much to carry? Is the memory of all you've done wrong so severe that it causes daily anguish and you wish the pain would just stop? If that's you this morning, I don't have easy news for you, but I do have good news for you. Jesus wants to free you from your burdens and shame. He wants to forgive all of your blasphemies and unrighteousness. He wants to heal every single problematic splinter that's lodged in your life. But his treatment does not come by numbing their effects. No. His treatment comes by facing them in all of their jagged horror and one by one redeeming every single part of you. Splinters included. Guys, Stopping the pain and healing the problem aren't the same thing. But Jesus wants to and is able to do both. It certainly wouldn't be the first time he did. The question for us today, will we let him? Amen.